from KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. Today, we are going to talk about atheism. My guest is Hemant Mehta. He runs the blog The Friendly Atheist, which he thinks is the most popular atheist blog on the Internet. He's a nice guy. He doesn't even eat children. He let me write a guest post for him a few months ago. It was titled, I'm a Presbyterian minister who doesn't believe in God, and it raised a few eyebrows. Um, Many detractors have called for my head, or at least my ordination. Regardless, I make a case that belief in a supernatural God is is not necessary, central, or even desirable uh, for our modern understanding of the universe. You can be a Christian without belief in God, certainly a supernatural God. I think our whole theological outlook is due for an upgrade, and the most interesting and important dialogue partners in this upgrade are atheists. These are the folks who can help us expose the superstitions and the nonsensical aspects of religion. It's also true that atheists face a great deal of social stigma just for being atheist. In poll after poll, atheists are often viewed near the bottom as least trustworthy, There's much social pressure to, quote, believe in God. So I'm happy to have my guest, Hemant Mehta, with me on Religion for Life. He is the owner of the Friendly Atheist blog and the author of several books. I Sold My Soul on eBay, Viewing Faith Through an Atheist's Eyes, The Young Atheist's Survival Guide, Helping Secular Students Thrive, and The Friendly Atheist, Thoughts on the Role of Religion in Politics and Media. Welcome, Hemant, to Religion for Life. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Well, now, you are an atheist. Uh, Now, is that because you weren't loved as a child? (laughs) That's true. That's exactly why it is. No, (laughs) um, the reason is when I was about 14, I started questioning the religion I was brought up with for the first time in my life. I didn't realize that was the thing you could do. Uh And all the answers pointed to atheism, even though I really didn't know that word or anything. It just seemed like, oh, this stuff doesn't make sense to other people either. So that's just kind of the path I went down. Yeah. Now, was this, uh, were you uh, raised in a religious home? I was. The religion I was raised with was called Jainism, Uh J-A-I-N. So it's an Indian religion. It's a smaller one. Most people aren't familiar with it. Um, But I mean, philosophically, it's it was it's a great religion. I mean, they believe in nonviolence. They believe in mm-hmm. not having bad thoughts about other people because that's a form of violence to them. Um, stereotypically, if you think of a Jane, you think of someone who covers their mouth when they talk so that they don't even hurt bacteria in the air. Um, where they lost me was, you know, they believe in heaven and hell. They believe in karma. They believe in reincarnation. And these are things I couldn't. I realized, like, wait, this stuff doesn't make any sense. And that's when I kind of ditched it. So did you have uh, freedom in your house to uh, to do what you did? Or did you kind of go against the grain by uh, deciding to think uh, about these things for yourself? It wasn't like uh, I was stopped from doing it. But I think there was an implication that Jainism is good and religion is good. And questioning it, it just wasn't done. It's not like anyone said if you, you know, say this is wrong, we're going to like <laughs> kick you out of the house or anything. Uh-huh. But uh, there was always just an I- implication that you don't question this stuff. And that's what, I mean, I never did it growing up. I didn't know any atheists. You didn't. Uh, now, where did you grow up? 
Um, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, lived for a couple of years in Tennessee. Mm. Um, and to be honest with you, despite living in the South for a little bit um, and being raised in kind of a religious environment, uh, it was just kind of the culture. It, it, you know, everyone just kind of believed you didn't really talk about it with anyone. Certainly when you're practicing a faith that most people don't even most people have never even heard of. It's not something I'm bringing up in conversation all the time. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I didn't really meet anybody who was an atheist. I knew one person who was an, an agnostic. And even then, I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. And I didn't even think about it. So this is about around 14 or so as a teenager, yeah. you start to have these doubts. Uh, was there a moment that you, you kind of felt the need to, to speak out and, and write about critiques of religion? Well, in high school, the I just kind of, I didn't really talk about it. I just kind of researched it. I read about it online. Whatever I could find, I would read about it. And it just seemed to make a lot of sense. But it wasn't until college that I actually tried to start a group. And I actually reached out to someone to start a group. Um, because at that point, I'm like, well, I'm on my own now. And I want to meet other people who are atheists. Mm -hmm. And that seemed like a decent way to go about doing it. So was there an atmosphere there? I, I know when I was uh, in East Tennessee, um, there was a skeptics or free thinkers group, and but they really uh, had an uphill battle even to just sometimes get a group um, within high school and college. Yeah, I, there was, uh, it was easy to start it off. Mm -hmm. It was, um, I mean, the college was fine. We had trouble getting people to come to meetings in part because it's a college group and that's never easy at first. But uh, once people started hearing about it, once we started doing activities, everything started going. I mean, it, it started happening. And the person I started the group with even introduced me to the wider world of atheism. She's the one who said, you know, there's like a group called the Secular Student Alliance that's kind of an umbrella group that helps people maintain and start atheist college groups, which was just the coolest, weirdest thing in the world. Now, you uh, sold your soul on eBay, so uh, yeah. how, how much did you get for it? <laughs> I got $504 for it. Let me explain the that I didn't actually sell my soul. What okay. I did is, okay, so I graduated from college, mm -hmm. and I finally did a little of activism and things like that, um, but I'd never been to a Christian church because I wasn't raised in the faith. I had no reason to go, um, and I'd never been to a mosque either for that matter, and so here I was like out of undergrad, done with grad school temporarily. And basically, I knew a lot of atheists now. I had uh -huh. met a ton of them. Most of them came from Christian backgrounds. And it seemed, you know, if you ask them what church is like, they're going to give you a pretty biased answer. They didn't like it. They, they hated it for the, this reason and that reason. And, you know, I don't want to just believe them because they're telling it to me. I want to experience it for myself. And so I put this thing on eBay that said you could bid on where I go to church. Um, basically, you're paying for my time. Right. Um, and I'll donate the money. I'm not interested in like that happening. Um, but basically, a pastor said, all right, I'm going to pay for your time. And I want you to go to a bunch of different Christian churches in return. And that was the deal we struck. Okay. And you did uh, donate the money to the Secular Student Alliance, did. didn't you? I did. And so, uh, well, t tell us about a little about this experience. You wrote about it, of course, in your book, I Sold My, so Sold My Soul on eBay, Viewing Faith Through an Atheist's Eyes. Uh, yeah. What was it like going to these churches? Eye-opening. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea what 
uh, I was going to expect. I certainly didn't expect what I ended up finding. So I went to like an evangelical mega church. I went to a black church on the south side of Chicago, went to a guy's living room because that's how big his church was. Um, and all of these experiences, like I had no idea this is what church could be like. Um, and I mean that in a good way as well as a not good way. Um, like the evangelical mega church, as someone who did a lot of theater growing up, I mean, man, that was a show. That was mm. amazing. Um, the black church, I mean, I think a lot of people when uh, President Obama gave his eulogy at that church uh, not too long ago, uh, it was kind of their first glimpse at a black church and like talking about social issues through the lens of faith. And that to me was new because all of that stuff they said in the black church was very relevant. It was about things that were going on right now. It definitely wasn't about fire and brimstone. Um, and the ones in the living room were talking about how they were frustrated in some ways with traditional churches. They wanted to do things differently. And so all of this was brand new. I mean, none of it, none of it <laughs> made me reconsider my atheism. Mm -hmm. um, but all of it was like, oh, there are, there are liberal Christians. There are Christians who don't like Christianity as much as I don't like Christianity. Um, so it was fascinating. And I'm glad I did it. I mean, I've encouraged other atheists to do it too, which is just explore the churches around you. So you actually know what people are experiencing. Um, I think a lot of atheists get into this habit where we think, oh, we have the right argument. Or if I just debunk whatever this Christian says, or if I, you know, have the right logic, they will stop believing in God. They will stop going to church. And that's ridiculous because if you go to these churches, um, the, the Bible, the beliefs that they hold, that's a part of it, but that's only a part of it. Like these churches are doing so much more than just, you know, talking about Jesus that, you know, if you want to get people to leave, you got to offer them a lot more. It, it's not as simple as just saying, let me tell you why the Bible's wrong and then you'll just stop. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Hemant Mehta. He is the uh, author of a number of books, as well as the keeper of The Friendly Atheist, which is uh, the largest uh, atheist blog on the Internet, as I understand it. I, I think it is. And how long have you had this blog? Man, I've been doing that for like eight years now, I think. Eight years. I started it when I wrote I Sold My Soul on eBay, uh, thinking it would help supplement kind of the book. Uh -huh. And then I realized after like a month or two of the book being out, oh, no one cares about the book. It's they're all paying attention to the blog, though. So I just kind of put my focus there. And you put uh, you are prolific. I mean, there are four or five posts at least a day. Yeah, at least. Yeah, it's I mean, that is what I do now for a living. So, I mean, it better be updated frequently. But uh, yeah, it's it's amazing that uh, you would think, well, how much is there to talk about atheism? You know, you put up a post every day that says, don't pray, and you're done. And it's amazing how often religion and current events intersect. I mean, there's a reason newspapers have religion writers, because there's so much going on. And I think it helps people, uh, and it helps me for sure, just kind of talk through all of these issues, especially as they relate to atheism and, you know, what perspective should an atheist have on certain news stories? Uh, just to bring back, just because I mentioned mm -hmm. it, Obama speaking at that yeah. church, there's so much religion interwoven in there. And is that something atheists should be mad about? Is that something we should be like, okay with? Is that separation of church and state? How does that help the country or hurt? It? I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at news stories. 
through the lens of an atheist. And so that's just kind of what I try to provide. Like, this is something that happened. Here's my take on it. But the comment section is very robust, too. It is. It's very robust. Of course, uh, I you asked me to be a guest post on there, and it was fascinating to watch the comments go uh, back and forth. Um, it's often a place where a little bit of sparring happens between very conservative sure. Christians and atheists. Sure. And, and that's what's interesting to me. Like, I, I liked your take on it because it was different. I mean, I don't think people are used to hearing uh, that sort of voice. And sometimes you get in trouble for that. I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've asked people who uh, I'm fascinated by pro-life atheists, just to give you one example, because to me, uh, when you live in this kind of atheist bubble for a while, everyone's pro-choice. And the fact that there are, a, there's a relatively substantive number of atheists who are pro-life and they have very secular reasons for being pro-life. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I've asked them, like I've asked a pro-lifer, like, can you explain to us why you are pro-life? You know, use whatever arguments you want to, and I'll give you the space to do it, because I think I want you to talk about it on my site so that people can actually fight back in the comments and rebut what you're saying. Um, And people get mad that they're like, how come you're allowing that person to speak? Because it's interesting, and that person exists in our world, and you should try to understand what they're saying. Um, I have a podcast, and we just spoke to someone who starred in uh, Ray Comfort, the evangelist. He came out with a movie that kind of tries to urge you not to be gay (laughs) or why Uh, it's wrong. uh And we spoke to that person uh, who starred in the movie because that's that's an interesting topic, and I want to know what his perspective is like. I've talked to Republicans who are conservative and write about these political issues too. Um, and you know what? They're fascinating to talk to because, yeah, they they believe in things that I believe are deeply wrong. But unless you uh, – it's so easy to attack a straw man. I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. I want to understand what they actually think. And when you actually talk to them, it's like, oh, you're not as bad as I think you are. So – it makes you really make sure that if you criticize them, you are attacking their arguments because there's no reason to attack the people. The people are fine. And the same thing happens with religion, too. Like, I know too many good Christians to say that, you know, Christianity is the worst thing in the world. No, I think it's wrong, and I'll criticize the ideas, but I try really hard not to criticize people. Because that's really kind of the overall point, isn't it, to bring rational discourse into our world. And, and into our yeah. country when we when there's so much irrational discourse that has a lot of power. Exactly. And it's not the dialogue I want to see, and I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, the best thing I can do is try to be the the place, try to make sure that my website or the, the YouTube videos I do, this is the conversation I want to have. And I think it does strike a chord with some people because, especially on like YouTube, where it's so easy to play this over-the-top character, where it's just like, oh, I, I'm a Christian, but I could watch this person because they're not yelling at me, you know? Right. Um, and I think that that appeals to some people. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the uh, the, the things that you hear from religious believers uh, that, that are, are said to you or asked to you because you're atheist, some of the crazy ones. I mean, they, they keep coming up. Well, you know, you raised it at the beginning jokingly, but this is true. I was at a church once, and we did an event where the pastor and I had a conversation on stage because he wanted his congregation to understand atheists firsthand, kind of like what I'm just talking about, about religion, Uh Um, which is a great—I mean, that was a great idea. I appreciate what that pastor was doing. And he opened it up to questions, 
but you know that's not necessarily a good idea. So uh, the congregation could write questions on a note card. They would pass them to ushers. The ushers would filter through them and hand the pastor on stage the ones they thought were good, and then the pastor would filter them again to get to the question. So as a thank you for me coming there, he gave me all the note cards <laughs> so I could see okay. what everyone was asking unfiltered. And one of the questions was, do you have a bad relationship with your father? Uh-huh. <laughs> because surely that's why I'm an atheist. And that just cracked me up because like, no, that I mean, one, I have a fine relationship with my dad. But two, like, why would that even cross your mind? What what stereotype are you hearing that that comes up? Um, also, I've done this at every atheist talk I go to. Uh, I'll bring it up like I every atheist, if you ever talk to him. Have they ever had the experience where they get to know somebody, they become friends, and then they tell someone they're an atheist? And the reaction is almost always the same. It's like, oh, I, I thought you were a good person. You know, yeah. this implication that if you're an atheist, you're immoral. I mean, these are the, just the nasty stereotypes you hear. But I think it's changing because uh, we've seen it in the LGBT movement, too, where a lot of people, even cons- political conservatives, they will start changing their mind on the issue when they get to know someone who's gay or their kids know someone who's gay. Um, and why does that happen? Because you realize all those nasty things you always heard about homosexuality, oh, that's not actually true. And I think that's starting to happen because now you can't uh, get away with not knowing an atheist. Everyone knows an atheist. And uh, I think in a lot of cases you realize, oh, they're not immoral. They do have a set of ethics. It's not Bible-based, but those are good people. And I think more people are realizing that. Well, now the polls are suggesting that those not interested in religion are increasing in numbers. Uh, more than a yeah. third nationwide are, are people under 30. Uh, what do you think about yeah. this trend? I'm not surprised at mm-hmm. all. I mean, uh, there's a couple reasons for this. I, I think uh, part of it's just the Internet. It turns out that if you have questions about your faith, if you're doubting your religion, a lot of young people will say church is not the place you go to ask questions. They don't trust that, like, it's safe to ask their pastor about anything. It's not like, you know, you can fact check your pastor in person. It's not like anyone's holding up a citation needed sign in church. Mm -hmm. So when they have questions about their faith, where do they go? They don't go to their pastors. They don't go to their parents. They go to the Internet. And atheists are really good at the Internet. Like, we have answers to your questions, you know? So that's part of it. Uh, another part of it is that religious people, religious groups, just kind of started shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about Catholic church sex scandals, um, uh, but we can also say that when it comes to the easiest moral issues of our day, you know, should LGBT people have civil rights? Right. They've been so horrible on that issue and for young people, even Christians, uh, this is a non-starter for them. Of course, gay people should have rights. They all know gay people. They know gay Christians. This is not an, an, a debatable issue. Um, I mean, I know the comparison. I'm not trying to make the comparison, but it's like saying, no, we should stick with pre-civil rights uh, era laws. Like, you know, black people shouldn't have rights either. Of course, that's not going to get anywhere this today. And I don't think anyone realizes how bad the church has handled uh, this issue, certainly within the church. They're still, even though gay marriage is legal now, they're still sticking by these, this whole idea that it's the church that's really suffering now. Uh, and even young people want nothing to do with that. So when you say a third of young people under 30 want no religion, 
Uh, let's be clear, it doesn't mean they're atheists. Most of those people are still religious. They just don't want anything to do with organized religion. You know, they might believe in God, but they know that church is not any group they want to be a part of. Yeah, and you mentioned, of course, the civil rights issues and the LGBT issues, but also the science question is huge. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The science question is huge. The way uh, science is almost seen as a four-letter word in some churches, and not just about evolution, by the way. It, that's that's silly, but also about climate change. A lot of churches don't talk about that. Uh, abstinence-only sex education, which doesn't work, and we have scientific proof that it doesn't work, even for the goal that Christians are trying to get, which is uh, conservative Christians don't want you to have sex before marriage. As an ethical thing, I kind of see where they're coming from. I, I don't begrudge them that opinion, but if they really cared about that issue, abstinence-only sex education isn't the way to make that case. It just hasn't worked. So there's another issue where the church has been wrong on the science issue, and they're fighting it. And I think young Christians who might hold those same Christian values, they're like, well, you're you're hurting your own cause. So yeah, science is another reason where they've just, they've gone away because they realize the church isn't getting it right, and they're not changing on this issue. Yeah, it seems like the church is doing everything it can to drive people away. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, the second. You know what? I'm not. I'm not going to stop them. Go. Go right ahead, because they're coming into my arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wrote also the Young Atheist Survival Guide, uh, helping secular students thrive. And you wrote this in 2012. Have things changed for the the better for secular students? They have. I wish I could take credit for it, but I think I was writing that book on kind of as the trend was already on the upswing. Mm -hmm. And really, all I was talking about is here's what churches are doing that's bad, but. Let me tell you what things are like for young atheists, especially in the Bible Belt, in places where they're not wanted and treated well. Um, this is what they're going through. And I would hope that anyone who reads that book, even if you're religious, you're reading that and saying, well, uh, clearly this is horrible. I don't want young atheists to go through these experiences, and I want to help them out. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their beliefs, but surely no one wants young people who are questioning their faith treated horribly, treated like pariahs. We don't want that. Um, and these kids have done nothing wrong. I mean, even if you're religious, I would hope that questioning faith is a good idea. You want people to be doing that because, hey, if you're religious, you think your religion has the right answer. So by all means, question your faith because uh, you're going to find the answer in Jesus. I would hope that's their answer. And yet that's not the case at all. When, when young people question religion, they're doing something wrong. And I mean, it's all the more reason not to trust religion, because if any religion that says you shouldn't question the faith or that you should just, you know, uh, just trust in God because it'll you'll figure it out. Like, that's not a good answer. No. Uh, you know, the two, uh, again, when I was back in East Tennessee, I remember the two groups that were most discriminated against uh, at the college were the LGBT group and the Secular Alliance group. Those are the groups that had their posters taken down uh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, but I knew it was it was a little bit risky uh, for some of the secular students to to kind of come out in, in that way in, in the social setting. There really is discrimination that's going on uh, today. Yeah, it's not legal discrimination in the way certain minority groups are hurt against. I mean, yeah. really, the laws are fine in terms of it. But the way society treats uh, LGBT people, young atheists, uh, atheists in general, that's where it really is just awful. And that's what I want to change. I mean, the, the laws are mm -hmm. fine as long as they're adhered to, which they're not always. But yeah, it's this social stigma that I want to change. 
And the funny thing is, as hard it is, as it is to be an atheist in schools like that in East Tennessee, in, in other southern areas, uh, those are also the biggest atheist groups. Those are also the uh, biggest LGBT uh -huh. groups because they have nowhere else to go. Um, trying to get an atheist group started in a state like Oregon, uh -huh. that's hard because you don't really need it there. But, but those other states, I mean, the, the Bible Belt states, that's where these groups thrive for good reason. Uh, we just have a few uh, minutes left. But what are, what's going to need to happen before we'll see an open atheist have a shot at the presidency? You know, I, I really do believe, I, I don't even have names, but I really do believe in the closet atheists are probably well, uh, uh, well counted in the political spectrum. I think they're all out there. Uh, to get an open atheist, I think a couple things would need to happen. For now, you have to run in a state where religion's not a big deal. Uh, two, you would you couldn't talk about atheism. Mm. Let it be something, you know, it's a label, but it's not what you talk about. Um, and I think there's a case to be made that if someone like Bernie Sanders said he's an atheist, I think a lot of people would just go, yeah, all right, I kind of figured. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's not. But I think with his case, he's talking about issues so much that he's not defined by, you know, he's a socialist and no one cares. They're listening to what he has to say. So you need someone like that who can really do a good job of putting the issues before a label and to say, yeah, I'm an atheist, but I'm fighting for religious people that I'm representing here. Um, my constituents are religious and I have no desire to discriminate against them. And I, I uh, you know, I, I can represent them and their values perfectly well in Congress. I mean, believe me, there are good Christian politicians who will say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm upholding the Constitution, not the Bible. Uh, that's my job that you are electing me for. And I have no problem putting my trust in that sort of politician. And I think the same could be said of an atheist. You know, people will try to make a big deal of it, but we've seen in recent election cycles that, uh, and there are some elected atheists, openly uh, atheists, mm -hmm. but they're at the state level. They're not at the federal level. There is no open atheist in Congress right now. Um, but it could happen. It's just a matter of the right candidate, and I don't think we've seen that person yet. But, I mean, last election in 2014 for the midterms, there was an open atheist running for Congress in a really red part of Texas, uh, Arizona, I believe. Um, so he wasn't going to win, but... He, that that said, he had no problem saying he was a humanist on the campaign trail then. So that was kind of cool. Uh, and, you know, so I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be that long before it happens. But you just need that right candidate who can do it. Hammett Mehta is my guest on Religion for Life, uh, uh, blog owner of The Friendly Atheist and a number of other projects. In fact, why don't you take a moment and tell us what you're working on right now? Sure. So FriendlyAtheist.com is the blog. That's kind of the, the main thing I do. But if you go on YouTube and search for Atheist Voice, that's the YouTube channel I work on. And uh, I also do the FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com because I, I stopped to trying to come up with names for things. So uh, if any <laughs> of those are interesting to you, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll come across it. All right. Hey, thank you for your work and thanks for spending time with me today. My pleasure. Thanks, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religionforlife.com. Religionforlife.com. That's the place to go for links to podcasts. 
and for more information about this program. You can also follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download podcasts from iTunes. Religion for Life is heard on KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, and Religion for Life is produced and distributed as a cooperative effort with WETS and KBOO Portland. Be well. Thank you.